Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grzynski and today we're talking to the head coach of the girls varsity basketball team at Olmstead Falls High School in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. His name is Jordan Eaton and Coach Eaton has been the head coach of the girls varsity team at Olmstead Falls for seven years now. But listen to what he's accomplished in such a short time. This past season, he won his 100th game won another Southwestern Conference title. That makes three in a row now for the Lady Bulldogs. And this year's team also made it to the regionals, as did his team in 2017. Coach Eaton, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. So, Coach, now I've, I've had a nephew and a niece go through the Olmstead Falls schools. I still have a niece in the district. And my good buddy, Brian Fritz, both of his sons played for Coach Delisio over there on the boys' side. And so I'm very familiar with the story tradition that is Olmstead Falls basketball. But it wasn't until this past season that I got to see your team up close and personal. That's because of the pandemic. I got the chance to do play-by-play on the live streams for the girls' games, and I'm, I'm glad I did. But what really intrigued me about your team. I mean, I got the chance to meet you and talk to you, you know, before the before the game, but the style of play that you see on the floor does not seem to reflect the soft-spoken, mild manner personality of the head coach. And so coach Eaton, my first question for you is, how do you win so many games year in and year out? <laughs> uh well, that's I think I'm the product of a really good uh, situation. Um, I've said that before, and uh, we have a lot of people in Olmstead Falls who really care about developing basketball players. And and you said it, man. You said the uh, the storied tradition of Olmstead Falls basketball. This is definitely a basketball community. Um, boys, girls, the community really rallies behind you if you're trying to get something done, and and that's kind of been very helpful for our team success. So do me a favor, kind of lay out your resume for me. You know, where 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 did you go to high school? Let let let's let our listeners know where'd you go to high school? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I I went to Mid Park High School before it was Berea Mid Park and graduated in two thousand three. Then I spent a couple of years at Heidelberg College, which is now Heidelberg University in Tiffin, Ohio, on the basketball team there, learning a lot from the bench. Might I add? And um, then I finished my degree at Cleveland State. Started coaching girls basketball at Parma um, just by chance. My uncle was was a coach of the JV team, of the, the JV girls basketball team at Parma, and I needed some athletic field experience hours, and I just showed up to observe, and he asked me to help out one in a drill, and I loved it ever since. I went back the next day, and I kept going back and ended up coaching there 
uh, for five years, became the, the head varsity coach for two, and then moved on as an assistant at North Olmstead, and then landed the head position here back in 2014. So where do you think you started to develop your style of coaching? Was it early on, maybe on the bench at Heidelberg, or was it as you got those first couple of jobs? Well, um, you know, you, you mentioned that I was mild mannered. That that's that's a change. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad somebody sees it. I, it. It didn't always used to be that way. Um, when I was really, I, I got my first job very young and didn't know really what I was doing, but thought I knew quite a bit. Um, so that was a little bit of a disconnect there. And, and when you when you're in that situation, you kind of you look frantic at times. And, and I had many uh, many of situations where I saw myself on film looking a little bit frantic and. Um, I, I've really worked to make a change on that. So um, I appreciate that. That's one of the better compliments I received, but it's definitely been a work in progress. But was it, was it, do you think then, where, where did you start to realize that? Was it, was it the first head coaching job that you thought, okay, you know what, I'm going about this the wrong way? Um, you know, actually it was a season. It was a mid-season type thing that I was noticing um, in games where, I was able to handle some of the adverse situations, meaning like the other team going on a run or the officials making a call that we disagreed with um, or us you know, doing well. Um, the way I responded, if I was a little bit more mild-mannered, if I had a little bit more of a calm demeanor, I noticed the team seemed to perform a lot better. We, we seemed to handle any adversity as a group better. Um, and, and I noticed it in a game in my second season at Olmstead Falls at Lakewood, it was kind of like one of the first bigger games we won. And uh, I just I just remember that game went to overtime, and we had a good young team. Just um, and, and things were going wild. I mean, there was all kinds of things. I mean, parents got thrown out of the game, and a couple kids got technical fouls from Lakewood. And it was, uh, it was a wild game overall, and I just remember trying to tell myself to remain calm and think about what we're going to do next and what the plan is for any situation, and uh, I remember learning it there. And then there was another instance in the 2017 district championship game where we were down 10 in the third quarter to Avon and um, just called timeout, told everybody to, to breathe and calm down, but also we were going to pick up the pace a little bit um, and press full court, so it kind of culminated there and then I just tried to figure out the best way to be uh, as level-headed as possible while being passionate so that's kind of where it all developed and still working on it today but was it was it like your style that you had to change completely were you you know kind of describe for me how you were like you know in those first couple of years of coaching that when you look back on it that, that maybe you don't like you don't like what you uh you know, how you portrayed, portrayed yourself in those first couple of years of coaching? Um, for sure. Um, a couple of things. A stylistic, from a stylistic point, we, we did things on the basketball court that are a lot different than we do now. I mean, I was very uh, controlling. We ran a lot of set plays. We did a lot of things that seemed to, almost like I was micromanaging from the bench at times. And, and I, didn't, I didn't love that after looking at film and, and thinking about the game. Um, also, I, from a verbal standpoint on the sidelines, I used to um, be extremely vocal on almost every little detail. And it's unrealistic. Kids can't really process the information you're trying to give them in the, at the speed you want them to play at. Um, so at, at least our kids can't. Maybe, maybe some other teams can, but our kids struggled with that at times. And, and I, found our, I found us not being as successful as we could be or maybe not playing up to our potential when I was trying to micromanage a game or trying to be too vocal at times. So in the past few years, I've really tried to tone that down. Did you find yourself then, as, as you noticed this about yourself, micromanaging, so as you pull back a little bit from the players, do you see a difference in them and their style of play? Do they start playing better or maybe with more confidence? I believe so. I believe we have evidence of that too. I hope they feel more confident. That's the goal is to instill more confidence in them by removing myself from the situation a little bit more often. So I, I hope that's the case. Um, it certainly has seemed that way and it's looked that way. 
And I hope that if you ask one of our players, you know, do they, do they enjoy playing for our coaching staff? And they would say yes. And one of those reasons would be that they have some freedom to make decisions as long as they're working as hard as they possibly can. I'll tell you, one of the things that strike me in what, what you said is that, that you, you recognize this while you were watching film. So not only are you watching your team, but you're also watching yourself. Was that on accident or was that something that you, that you typically did, watch yourself on the sideline? Well, no, that was on purpose. Not that I'm watching film to watch me, but um, we definitely have a, uh, a lot of sayings in our locker room and, and, our, and that we use a lot. And one of the things is we say everything matters. Uh, a lot of a lot of coaches I'll run into, or even myself when I was younger, I used to think to myself like, you know, we don't need to do that. That doesn't matter. Or I don't need to worry about that. That doesn't matter. And I started to find that the more often people said that, it seemed like the less successful they were. So um, we we just adopted this thing that everything matters. And, and we even had some players early on where they maybe didn't want to look the same in practice or they didn't want to do something a certain way and they would kind of say well it doesn't really matter and then their their um, their production would would slip or they wouldn't be as successful or reach their maximum potential as they sh- like they should so um that's kind of how i started looking at the film just as an everything matters type situation meaning how i am on the bench hopefully and how our assistants are on the bench hopefully can be sort of guidance non-verbally to the way that we are out on the floor and if, if things are under control on the bench hopefully things are under control on the floor did was it as you were watching the tape was it the decisions you were making that that stood out or was it you know you're were you very I, were you more flamboyant you know back then what yeah. was it that you looked at you were like oh boy what am i For doing sure. i mean all of the above anyone who's been coaching basketball at any level knows that it's it's making the better the better you are is just making less mistakes you're never perfect so um yeah 100 percent all of those things there was times when i was making a decision i'm like what 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 was i thinking and then looking at myself like paying giving attention to like a call or something that we didn't do well when there was like three or four things in that play that we did do well. And I noticed myself dwelling on those things in the game a little bit instead of maybe praising for some of those more positive things and looking at it from an overall standpoint, I just decided that we're going to make mistakes and and I'm going to try to, to be less involved in the kind of overall production of the whole thing. It's about the players. It's about the kids it's about them enjoying their experience and reach, reaching maximum potential. All my work should be done ahead of time. And if I'm over there screaming and yelling like a crazy person, which I have many times, I'm probably unprepared. So that's just the way I look at it. And I, I'm sure other coaches have different styles that work for them. But that was that was our approach. Well, I just, I mean, I really just, I appreciate your honesty. And I'm glad that, that, that you said that. And I'll tell you, I'm not, okay, I'll. I'll throw it back on me here for a second because I, mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Like I'll go back and I'll listen to to, to my podcast, yeah. and you know, and I and there was one where oh my gosh, I wanted to just, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to call a timeout. I couldn't yeah, right. because because I I was I was saying you know so many times sure. in during this podcast, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like why am I doing this? You know. So after you know after the first few times, I start really listening for it, and I'm like, okay. I, I, I had to make a note. I said, I can't be doing that. I'm like, I just, I just don't like the way it sounds. It sounds unprofessional. It sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, sure. so, so I, you know, I did the same thing. And, and so I, and, and tell me, okay, just tell me if you agree or disagree. Like, this is something that I don't know if there's enough younger coaches, if they realize how they should probably look in the mirror sometimes like that. And and like you said, and that's a great way to do it. I never thought about that. When you're watching the film, maybe you have two film sessions, right? One for the team and one for yourself. Do you think there are younger coaches out there that could, that could learn a lot from that? Absolutely. Um, I kind of wish I thought of it sooner when I was doing it. I think I'd already had three or four, maybe five years of coaching experience under my belt at a, at a pretty high level. And, uh, I would have, I thought of, you know, just the way I basically had to improve my entire demeanor and watching film was a great way 
to to do that because you can you can look at your body language and you can look at your mannerisms and you can look at what is your body saying as far as reacting to adversity and then that's one big thing and then you can also use your assistants we, i have great assistants and i and i just ask them and i tell them to be honest you know that was my energy level either overbearing micromanaging or you know par for the course so you can you can do it in a few different ways but i think it's an important thing to to try to get a good grasp on well i think you you become comfortable in your own skin and i give you credit for doing that as well like looking to your assistants and saying hey am i screwing this up i need you to tell me i mean you have to really be comfortable in your own skin to do that yeah absolutely and you know i've heard a lot of coaches say you know at the end of the day it's on it my name's on it i've kind of removed that that whole thing like my name is not on it i I know it is but that's not what i'm that's not a priority of mine that's not anything i'm ever we became way more successful when i removed myself from the game situation in any capacity that was more than making the right decisions i mean that was it so um we got we became a lot more successful as a program when i started doing that and and i just you got to swallow your pride a little bit. You want, if you're a set play coach and you think that's the best bet, that's great. But if it's not working, you got to look in the mirror and be like, Hey, maybe we should change what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I was one of those coaches and, and that was definitely something that progressed me a little bit further in our career. Not to mention, we, we've just been blessed to have a lot of people in the community who have got us better players. It, it's a lot easier to have a mild mannered demeanor, when you have players who are taking care of business on the floor, um, regardless of the situation. So I don't want to pretend like it. I'm out here doing this amazing calm thing. It, it, it's easy when you, it, it's easier when you have three or four players who could, you know, play the way we've had players play during the game and over the past few years. So you know, that definitely helps. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 you know, but, but like this, you know, I just see, I think this is a very, very important point to talk about and I think it's a it's a very good learning lesson um, not just for basketball coaches but I think for for managers uh, of all types I think about you know my my television career or you know my first management job mm-hmm. and and I, I did some of the same things you're talking about what you were doing with your players you know you you, you have this tendency to micromanage because why you, your name is on it, right? It's going to sure. come back to you. You're the executive Absolutely. producer of the show. So, so you try to do, you just don't let people do their jobs. I saw my, you know, I look back, I'm, you know, I did the same thing. I for, unfortunately didn't, you know, I didn't have film to look at at that point, but I look back on it now, you know, and I, and, and I see what I was doing wrong. And I'll tell you who told a similar story on the podcast was Chris Delisio. Oh, really? <laughs> he didn't, he didn't say it wasn't from film, but yeah. I asked him, I said, I said, do you look back and, and, and regret some of the things you were, he, he cut me off. He's like, Oh yes, I do. Yeah. You know, but, but you know, the, the, the important part to this is to learn from it, you know, to recognize it and then learn from it. And that's what, that's what, when I'm, you know, talking to, you know, a, a lot of these great coaches, you know, that's what I'm hearing. They're, they're, it's a similar message from a lot of these coaches. And I get to throw you onto the pile of those great coaches. Oh, I'll take it. I'll just let, let me in. I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a very important lesson in coaching and management style, like you said, of any kind. And it's easy to make that mistake of micromanaging or, almost being seem like you're seeming like you're too immersed in things. It's easy to make that mistake when you're passionate about what you're doing and you really care about the outcome. I think the, the, uh, the major lesson to learn. And one of the things that helped me is, is if you care a lot about the outcome, you should put a lot into the preparation and, and be a little bit more proactive than reactive. And, and that's what, that's what we've tried to do. So, um, I've got a lot of help from a lot of those great coaches. One of them, who you just mentioned, Chris, has helped me a ton in my coaching career. He's just always there to bounce stuff off. And we talk about all games, his games, my games, other games we've watched. And uh, guys like Chris have really helped me. And there's been a few others out there, too. But um, I'm glad you mentioned his name. He's been a big help to um, our coaching staff success because he kind of gives me another outlet to bounce things off of. Well, and I think now, you know, and you set me up to, uh, 
so we can we can shift into the next thing I want to talk about, and it's it's how you both you and Chris how, how Chris has built the boys program and how you you know you have built and are still built. I mean, you guys are still building. I don't think you ever. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, you know. It's like you know. I don't think you're ever built. I think you're always building. Sure. You know, but but building these these cultures, it really starts uh, on on the grade school level. For, for both sides, the boys and the girls. Talk a little bit about, let's start there. Talk a little bit about the involvement that the high school program has with the grade school kids who are coming up and through, you know, through the ranks. Uh, well, I, I like to think that our girls do a great job with, with the younger girls. Um, we've had some kids graduate from high school who have done some just amazing things. We had a team in 2018, 2019, um, whose three seniors were such great leaders they got the whole varsity team to show up at one of the fifth grade girls basketball teams end of the year party so you know all 10 of our varsity players showed up at the fifth grade youth party um just to surprise the girls who had a great season and apparently and there's a lot of pictures i wasn't there but apparently those girls went wild when the the youth girls went wild when the varsity girls showed up because it's a it's a tight-knit community here and and the youth players really look up to our varsity players and that's something i try to let our varsity players know that regardless if you think so or not those girls are watching you play and like wishing that there were you now and can't and they can't wait till they are in your shoes so it's really important to give back to them and to, to let them know that you know who they are and that they have the, the opportunity to, to be in their situation as long as they work hard. So I, I really think it's important and I know Chris does too. So this is a, like a basketball community, like I said before, and uh, I, I think our players do a great job of interacting with the youth players. But, you know, I, I think that what, what this speaks to is those off-the-court moments – that don't necessarily have anything to do with basketball that mm-hmm. makes such a huge impact, not only on your team, but in this case, the entire program from the fifth grade on. Sure. Absolutely. And, and it's, at the, we always forget, I feel like, um, and by we, I mean a lot of people who are really concerned about winning and, and I'm one of those people. I, I love to win. It's more fun than losing. There's no doubt. But we start to lose sight of the fact that it's it's high school basketball, and we just really want to be a positive presence in the community and lend ourselves to a growing situation that's only improving. And I think if you can get everybody on the same page, then regardless of what your record is during the basketball season, you've achieved success and Sometimes it's hard for people to understand that if you if you have a mediocre season or maybe you didn't reach your goal. Um, but it's high school basketball. We're part of a community. We need to make sure that we give back to that community and we contribute as a part of that community. And that's the other thing that I, I keep hearing uh, on a consistent basis is that when, when you develop that culture first – you don't necessarily have to worry about the wins all the time because that seems to fall into place as well. And I mean, do you feel that the culture drives the, the, you know, the wins almost as much as the X's and O's, if not more? I feel that it does. I I feel that it's as equal, if not, like you just said, more important um, because we can't control what players we're getting. It's not, this isn't, you know, a private school or a college or something like that where you're just picking and handpicking players or hoping that this player comes and that player comes. It's you have the kids who try out for the team who live in your town and that's it. And um, you can't really control their athleticism. And I mean, you can do some things that can help that, but you can't control you know, the how tall the kid's going to be, what what position you're going to have good players in, this, that, or the other. What you can control is how active and involved you are from the bottom up. And uh, I think that that ultimately hopefully leads to the product of being more successful in the win column. Are there any, is there anything in particular from, from the culture side? And I want to get into the X's and O's part after this, but from the culture side, are there, are there any 
two or three things that you look at and say, man, that's just something that I'm so glad we do it. You know, whether it's, I, you know, like Coach Delisio talked about the de- the team dinners that they started mm-hmm. doing, you know, and he said, I never realized how much of an impact that would have on our team. And, it, you know, you know, so whether it's something like that or, you know, whatever it is, I, you know, buy, mm-hmm. buying a smoothie before the game, I don't know, you know, like are there things that you look at and say, like, those are things we are always going to do because it means so much to the culture that we've created here? Yes, absolutely. Um, we do, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure almost all teams do now, but, but getting your team involved in a, in a team meal before a game um, is, a, is a really good thing, is a big thing. Um, the one major thing I contribute a lot of our culture to, um, it, it has, I always think, think of it this way, when you're, my first year, we were 3-20, and 20, and we did not have good culture, and I, it's not, it was my fault as much as anybody else's, it's not like I'm putting it on kids, I'm definitely taking the blame for that, I was inconsistent, and that led to a culture that just wasn't conducive for success, so my second year, I listed some things that I could do differently and the thing that really helped is we had a group of, of girls who were juniors that first year who were going to be seniors my second year. And those kids decided to, to trust me, even though they could have easily been this guy. We were 3-20. and 20. He came over from Parma, which wasn't like a powerhouse program by any means. They could really just say, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. We don't need to listen to anything he says. But I had five sen- five juniors that were going to be seniors that bought into everything we wanted to do from being really involved with the youth programs, going to games and, and, you know, hosting and leading camps and then helping out when we could in the community. And they all bought in and they all were, you know, great examples for the girls in the program who are ninth, 10th and 11th grade. And that really kind of got the ball rolling. And without that, um, I don't really think we'd be nearly as successful as we've been. Isn't that crazy how here here you are, you're probably like, okay, maybe we need to change the offense. Ah, Maybe we need to press more. (laughs) I I don't know. Maybe we need to make more free throws. And and it takes, oh, maybe we should show up to some camps, (laughs) you know? For sure. For sure. No, you're you're right. It it is crazy. And and I never really um, would have thought of it, I don't think, unless I had that really bad season. Um and and it wasn't you know we could have been ten and ten that year and the, if the culture wasn't good I still would have walked away feeling not like I didn't do my best and didn't really teach what needed to be taught so um, absolutely it's wild when you think about it that you know we've done some things differently from an offensive defense standpoint and that's probably something that all coaches should do as they progress however I would really recommend if you can really get your kids in the community and get support from those younger players and even younger parents and youth coaches. I think it goes a long way in in kind of developing your program as a whole and making it something that kids really want to be a part of. Have you ever gone back and asked those girls, like, what was it that got you to buy in? Have you ever had the chance to ask them? Um, I don't really ask them that question. I just thank them a lot, Um, you know, via text message or if I see them. A lot of them still kind of come back and come to a lot of games. And, um, which, one is of them, al- hey, which is also a testament to you, by the way. I hope so. But, you know, it, it, if not, I, I think the main thing is that they understand that they're just as much of like they're 12 and we were 12 and 12 that next year. Their 12 and 12 year was just as important as, you know, our last the year we just had we were 20 and three. So um, it. I hope they understand that. I try to tell them that all the time. They're probably sick of me thanking them and, and telling them how proud I am of them, even though if you're looking at championships or, you know, tournament, we didn't really win much that year. So we won 12 games. That was great. But, we, you know, we weren't. We certainly weren't a top team in the area or anything like that. We were just a hardworking group of kids and a group of coaches that, that had the future in mind. And that's pretty awesome for, for kids in high school to, to be able to do. Well, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned, you know, your mild mannered uh, style off the court does not match the style that you see on the court because your teams defensively are just ferocious. Your defense creates offense for you, coach. And 
like I said, talking to you, you know, on the sideline, if I never watched the game, I'd have thought you worked at the library at the school, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and then to see your teams play and how aggressive they are and just how, you know, the, the style of play on defense that that's creating that offense. So when did you start to, to realize like, this is the, the kind of team I want on the floor X's and O's wise, this aggressive style. Um, well, I am a big fan of, like, I played basketball, and I enjoyed playing basketball, and I watch a lot of basketball, and I really am a big fan of basketball that is played aggressively. I just think it's the most fun way to play. I think it's the most fun to watch. I think the kids get the most out of it. Um, not to say that that's the best strategy. It, it certainly could be the opposite of that. But we got to a situation where I just started to say that I don't want us to ever look timid or ever be in a situation where we're not confident because I don't want kids to do that, to be that way in life. And that's kind of what we do a lot of, try to relate life to basketball and whatnot. Um, We call, I mean, we have a lot of sayings, like I said earlier, and one of the things we say is, uh, is ball is life. We say that one a lot, just understanding that we can really relate just about everything we do in basketball to life. So that's where that kind of came from that aggressive nature, not to mention, we've just had some really competitive kids. I mean, kids that hate losing. And when you get that, you get some really good defensive teams. <laughs> so, Well, but you know, you bring up a good point, the, the confidence level. And I, you know, and I, I, you know, when I coached and, you know, and I still have a high schooler, but I tell them all the time, you know, it's like Yogi Berra said, right? It's 90% mental. The other half is physical, you know, it's sure. like, but it is, you know, I, I tell him all, I mean, like, it's, it's like, I tell, you know, the kids that I coach, it's 99% mental. I mean, it, it is that you like, you can have all the talent in the world, but you don't have the confidence to carry it through. It's not going to matter. And so what are some of the things you do to instill that confidence in your players? Prepare. I mean, we say it all the time, preparation just leads to a ton of confidence. If you're just prepared for anything, think about going to school, right? You have a test on Friday and you know you have that test on Friday when when it's Monday and you don't do anything about it and you don't spend much time looking over the material on Tuesday. And then all of a sudden it's Thursday night and you're like, holy crap, this test is tomorrow and I haven't prepared. You're not confident. You walk into that thing like, I hope I get a decent grade, you know? Um, but if you take the opposite road and you go Monday, I spend a little time preparing Tuesday. I really lock in Wednesday. I'm, I'm just making sure that I got everything I need. And then Thursday, I'm really dotting the I's and crossing the T's Friday morning. When you have that test, you're like, let's go. I'm ready. You know, this thing, I'm, let's get this thing over with. I'm going to dominate. And I use that analogy a lot when it comes to how we prepare for basketball. Um, we're preparing right now. We have a lot of kids in the weight room right now, and we have a lot of spring athletes who are who are competing. And I think that's extremely important to get kids in multiple sports because they're competing constantly in different situations. And, and I really like that. Um, so I, I think preparation is the biggest and one of the biggest contributors to confidence. Do you find yourself finding specific roles for a lot of the players on your team. I know you'll have your top three or four or, or five players each year, but but for some of the other players, do you find yourself looking for specific roles that they can take uh, take ownership of and play as you know as confidently, you know, even if they're the, the ninth or tenth you know person on the bench, they're going in there and playing just as confident as as player number one. Uh, definitely defensively. We have like a lot of that going on. We, we look at defensive roles um, a little bit more than we do offensive roles, I'd say. Just maybe it's because I'm a little bit lazy on offense and I let kids who, if they get a lot of shots up, I just let them shoot whenever they want. Um, that could be a coaching flaw. But um, defensively, we're always looking for, okay, what kid fits one of our four or five different defenses that we're going to run and where and how well do they fit it and and what does that mean where they're going to be and we even have sometimes in practice we have like hierarchies like this kid 
can play at the top. And when she's out of the game, this kid should be up to the top. And if they're both out of the game, then this kid should be at the top. And, and they understand those roles and they're starting to get really good about it. It also um, helps kids figure out different positions as well, because if you do that, hopefully you're, you're forcing kids to learn multiple spots in your defenses. And, and that way they're less likely to feel out of place if they're in a situation where, like you said, they're the eighth or ninth kid in the game or eighth or ninth kid from the bench and they decide, you know, we decide they need to be in the game. Hopefully their role defensively is outlined for them. Um, you know, as, as I guess accurately as possible, we really try to keep it simple. And the more we can get simply offensively, I think it gives us more time to spend on identifying roles defensively. I mean, I, I watching your team, I feel like your defense is what creates your offense and it, out of the gate. Is, is that what you're trying to accomplish? Um, certainly. I, I, it's never like something that we – it's not really something we talk a ton about, but we all know how to win a basketball game, score more points than the other team. And um, if, you're, if you're constantly forcing bad shots or turnovers and you're constantly getting defensive rebounds – the other team doesn't have the ball very often. And if that's the case, you're probably going to have a pretty good chance to score more points than them. I know this sounds like a real coach of the year speech here, but uh, it's it, like I said, we try to simplify it as much as we can. And sometimes I even goof around with the girls in practice and, and tell them, you know, we're really just trying to identify what's a bad possession for the other team and how can we create it. And that's definitely been a goal of ours defensively is just creating empty possessions for, for offenses. And do you feel since you lean defense first, does that allow you the opportunity to, to get more girls onto the floor and, and get them them roles if you're starting defense first? And not that offense doesn't matter. I mean, we know mm-hmm. it sells tickets, but not that <laughs> offense doesn't matter, but defense wins championships. And so you know, if that's the way for everybody you know, to, to really carve out a role out on the floor is defensively, do you see, does that provide you more opportunities to do that? Yes. I, I think that when I'm looking at who's going to play in a varsity basketball game or, or as a coaching staff, we're looking at what kids are going to be varsity basketball contributors. The very first thing we say is, can they defend the way we want them to defend? And if that's a yes, then they're going to have, they're automatically, their name automatically goes in, in the hat of a kid who can play varsity basketball or in that category. If they can't, now we're going to talk about, okay, Unfortunately, we're going to need you to play some JV minutes or here or there and, and, and develop those defensive principles and that defensive tenacity and, and understand your defensive role. Uh, and, and we've seen a lot of kids be able to do that and, and move their way up onto a varsity team even in midseason. We've had kids do that. So um, it definitely does help with depth because at the very least, you know you're going to be able to get stops, and, and that's always important. That's you know that's great, and you know the other the other part of that is then when you do tell that player, hey, this is this is what we need you to do, we need you to go from here to here, and this is how you're going to get there. When they feel, I think that they've gotten there for you to deliver on that and say, hey, you put in the work, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Here, here you go. Here are your varsity minutes, right? Sure, absolutely, and um, we never want to make empty promises to kids, so that's. We try to be real honest with them and let them know if you can do this, this, and this, you got a real good chance to to end up with some varsity minutes. We've even just pulled kids from the JV team who probably didn't even expect to become a varsity player, but we were watching the JV game and we're seeing them take one or two charges. We see them dive all over the floor. We see them, you know, practicing the defensive principles and philosophies that we preach and work on every day. And they might be hitting the backboard and nothing else when they shoot sometimes. But we know that that's a hard-nosed kid who will work with them offensively. If you can show us that you have that that selflessness defensively, then we have a real good, you know, we're going to have a, a real successful team. So we, we've given some kids some varsity jerseys that way. And I, I even think they might have been a little surprised at times. So I hope so. I hope, I hope, that, I hope it's a pleasant surprise for them. But it sounds to me like you are creating buy-in 
with with your defense? I hope so. Um, it's it's not easy. I tell our girls in practice all the time. Our, our my assistant coach Jessa and I tell tell them all the time that the way we play is not easy. However, it's also not easy to play against. So that just means we got to practice as hard as we possibly can for as long as we possibly can, and be in the best shape that we can possibly be in. And however, if that happens, we usually get rewarded. And whether that's an individual getting rewarded with more varsity minutes, or that's the team getting rewarded by winning a big game, it's it's reward based um, and process oriented. Do you feel you communicate with your players differently now than you did back in those early days at Parma? Um, yeah, yeah, um, I do. It's weird. I've always been close with the players, and I feel like I've never been – every year I feel like we get closer. And I think that's the players' understanding that a, a close team off the court and a close team and a close team on the court – usually is a successful team all all the way around and and um our players have even reached out a little bit more at times when you know they're going to do something and and they always ask me and my assistant if we we're coming you know they'll go grab like you said a smoothie or something they're like coach are you guys come in and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll okay sure we'll go too you know so um that's definitely something that that I think you hit the nail on the head on. I, I do, I do communicate with them differently. I'm a little bit different with them and I've, I've become a lot closer with the players as the years go on. And, and we're, and we've been real close with almost all our girls. So it's just kind of this thing that keeps happening. And um, I'm hoping that, that it stays that way. Our girls have been so respectful and so, so willing to, to work together and, and be inclusive of everybody that they even just extended to the coaching staff sometimes. So it's pretty awesome. But do you think all of this stuff kind of, culminates into making the not only the individual player better but just elevating your team to another level all of the you know the 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 things that happen off the court kind of you add it all up and it actually makes your team better do you feel that way or have you ever thought about it or looked at it that way Uh, oh absolutely I've been on a lot of basketball teams as a player whether it was you know Javier varsity basketball in high school or AAU or Javier varsity in college. Um, I've been on a lot of, in a lot of teams and the teams that have been successful, no matter what level have always been teams that have good chemistry, good culture. And that comes from guys being willing to, and girls being willing to kind of remove themselves from the equation, put the team first, understand that maybe, you know, we use this example all the time in our program. Like you might have a date with somebody scheduled on a Friday night, but the basketball team is going to the boys game as a team. Maybe you could pencil out, you know, or cancel out two hours of your of your evening to hang out with the team and then maybe go do something with in your social life or something like that. So we do we uh, we try to set the kids up for success in that way. And hopefully they uh they they feel that they are all getting better as a team and from a basketball standpoint when they are more social and, and more together outside of basketball. And it is just crazy to me how many times I hear like this off the court stuff, that, you know, that that is just so important to a successful program. I, I mean, I can't make it up. I'm so glad. This is why I love doing the podcast, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I keep hearing these things and I'm learning so much, you know, myself from from. Picking, and I always say I, I I love picking the brains of super smart people like you, and to, to hear the. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the common denominator is this: you know, to create this this winning culture, it really starts off the court. No doubt, um, that's always been something that I think is is important. There's a lot of things that you can't control in a basketball game. I believe you can control the way your players interact with each other and the way your players feel about each other by putting them in situations to get closer on a social level and closer on a personal level. Um, when that situation gets really tough out there on the floor and you look over at someone and it's someone that you really care about and they're your teammate, you're going to be much more willing to dig in and get that not that defensive stop or, or make that extra pass to that kid. I just, I, I think, the, the evidence is is pretty 
is pretty vast for the majority of basketball teams or football teams or any team that that has been successful over the years. So looking back, what would you tell uh, other coaches, especially young ones, yeah, about building team culture and, and keeping your kids engaged? What you know, I, whether it's you got three bullet points you could give them or start here. What would you tell them? Um, I would tell them to, uh, maybe watch some Robin Fralick YouTubes, the coach at Bowling Green State University. That's one thing I've started doing and she just is a genius. Um, she was the Ashland coach for forever. And I really think she has her teams playing the way that, that all teams should play. Um, so that's one, (laughs) one bullet point there. I can't sit here and say, I've thought of this stuff by myself. She's been someone who's really helped our our program and then another thing i would say is to to worry about winning and losing less that will allow you to put more time into your practices and your in your season for you know social bonding and team bonding and then maybe the third thing i would say is know who your leaders are socially so you can get them involved with some of the kids who might not be as outgoing socially See, and there you go. And and the thing with with all of this, it doesn't just apply to girls varsity basketball. Like these right. are things that that I mean, any sport you you look at, or like like you know, like we were talking about before, even in the office, if you are in charge of people, these tactics apply everywhere, really. For sure. I mean. People got to know that other people care. That's just who we are as human beings. You you have to have this feeling that that there's some sort of compassion and there's some sort of camaraderie and, and other people who are doing this thing with you care about it and care about you. And if you can get kids to understand that as a coach, that you, you care about what they're doing and you care about them and you can get your players to reach out to other players and let them know that they care about each other. I think you're on a path to success regardless of how much talent you have. Well, before we let you get a click, this has been so, I, you know, I hit another home run. I don't know how I keep doing it, but, <laughs> but I hit another home run with you, Coach. But again, it was like, you know, for me, what struck me was, like I said, your, your demeanor off the court, and then you see your team come on, the, you know, come out on the court and just, you know, just so ferocious defensively, you know, I would never have got, like, you, you couldn't have, have, you couldn't have paid me enough to figure out, like, you were the coach of this team, because, (laughs) but, but it just speaks to, you don't have to be that person to get that result, and, and, like, you've touched on, you know, over the last 40 minutes here or so, it, it really, it starts, you know, it doesn't really even start on the court. It's not about the X's and O's. It's about all the other things that you're doing. And that's why I think it works. That's why Jordan, the librarian works as the ferocious <laughs> basketball coach, you know, and I, you know, I don't mean any disrespect, no. but I mean, but, it's but okay. honestly, you know, like that, that's why I think it works because you have stepped back. You learned early on, like, this is not the way to do it. You have stepped back. And like you said, you, you've, not that you don't like to win. Everybody likes to win, and I totally get it. For sure. But the wins and losses maybe don't mean as much, and that is actually how you get the wins. Yeah, that's that's it. They don't. They don't. I can be the first one to tell you. I I want to win all the games. I, I'm up late the night before a game, like looking at film and, and just double checking everything and, and getting the jitters, like every other coach and player does. And I want to win those things. But when I look back on seasons. I don't even remember how many games we really won unless it's, you know, fresh in my mind from the last season. I'm more concerned with what we accomplished as a group together and and how we responded to some tough times and and how much fun we had working hard. Those are the things that that to me are are what coaching basketball is all about. And and I hope that a lot of other coaches feel that way, too, because that's going to give kids the best experience possible. Well, that's very refreshing to hear, Coach. And now, before we let you go, I always like to do a couple of fun things at the end of the podcast. I like to do what's the coolest and then first things last. Now, what's the coolest? We'll start there. First things last, I'm going to give you a list of firsts. And it's okay. the last thing we'll do. So that's why it's called first things last. Okay. Then we who knows? We may even teach some of your former players some things about you that they never even knew. <laughs> that's the goal right. of that. Okay. But, but before we do that... 
let's talk about what's the coolest. What's the coolest place you've either played, coached, or watched a game? Well, um, we, as a group a few years ago, got to go to team camp at uh, University of Notre Dame, and we got to play in the dome there. And just walking around that place with all the history and everything like that. And I know it was a, a summer camp game, and, and those really don't mean much, but just being in that arena and, and being able to walk up into like the Hall of Fame section up there and, and see all of the, the legendary athletes who've competed there, not just in basketball, but in, in, all, in all sports and athletic endeavors, that was kind of a really cool situation. So that definitely is up there as one of the coolest places we've, we've played and I've coached. Coach, summer camps count because one of our guests mentioned that, and, and he didn't even mention playing a game, but he, was, he, he helped out at a camp in the gym where they filmed Hoosiers. Yeah, right. And that, I've been and that, there too. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and so now we've been, we've been to, we went to Butler, my son and I, I got a good friend who lives in Indianapolis. And so we were able to, to go that that's where the championship game, when they mm-hmm. played the, the state champ, they filmed it there mm-hmm. at the Hinkle Fieldhouse. So we've been yeah. there, but we haven't been to the, to the other gym yet. And that's one of the things that's on my list. I want to, I want to get to that gym, but oh, he cool. brought it up. So that's all my point is summer camps count. Like, okay. Like, well, like so then, yeah, they, they do count. So if not, if you weren't going to say that, we went to San Diego as a team in 2018, and just playing out there and being in that tournament together was was a lot of fun. So that was pretty cool, just to be out in California playing basketball, and then after that, going to the zoo and and all the other fun stuff we did. So yeah, so those, those are fold there. Those are those are two really really good ones. And so now we have come to first things last, Coach. I'm going to give you a list of firsts. And okay. I'm telling you, I, this this segment has never disappointed. So I'm expecting big things from you, Coach Eaton. <laughs> no, like a lot of pressure. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. But Coach, what was your first job? I got a job in between ninth and tenth grade at the professional building at Lakewood Hospital in a place at a place called Medequip, fixing and cleaning wheelchairs. It was not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you do, was that like a summer job? Yeah, yeah. And it, it was crazy. My dad was like, he was the head guy there and he got me the job. And we had a pretty extensive summer program at ba- in basketball between ninth and 10th grade. And so we always had to be at the, at high school, at Mid Park High School practice, lifting, um, summer leagues. We had to be there no later than 10 a.m. every morning. So I used to have to work from 5.30 in the morning to 9.30 in the morning to get my 20 hours a week because I only could work four hours a week, but you weren't to work part-time, you had to get 20 hours. So I used to work from 5.30 in the morning to 9.30 in the morning washing, fixing, cleaning wheelchairs. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a great job for a high school kid because you're like, education is important, man. You got to, you got to do better than this, hopefully. So no offense to anybody who still does that, but it just wasn't for me. So, well, but Hey, look, it's made you, it's the man you are today, right? (laughs) So like, so so you saved up all that money, right? From, from fixing wheelchairs and Uh you went out and you bought your first car. What was your first car? Oh, no, this is even, this is even better. (laughs) It was, (laughs) it was a 1991 Honda Civic two door hatchback. And it was a four-speed manual transmission that I swear only two of the speeds worked, and uh, it only had two mirrors. So like they had the rear-view mirror on the on the uh, windshield, and it had the driver's side mirror, but the passenger side didn't have a rear-view mirror. So it was that bottom of the barrel. I mean, it was like nothing. So a 1991 Honda Civic um, four-speed two-door did, hatchback. Did you have yeah. a name for it? No, we didn't no, really have no. a name for it, but you know it was wild. It was one like one of the smallest cars on the road, but we used to pack as many 
of our friends in as we could. There was like times we'd have like 10, 11 people in there. And that sounds safe. Yeah, it didn't. I'm <laughs> glad I never got pulled over. <laughs> Again, you look back at some of this stuff and you're like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you yeah, think, was... think about the stuff you don't let your own kids do and it's like probably something you did and that's probably yeah. why you're not letting your own kids yeah. do it. How about this? <laughs> so so when you're when you're in the in the Civic cruising around, yeah. what Real were you slow. listening to? What, do you remember like your first CD or, or, or I'll say cassette. This one I never, it's, it's tough <laughs> to judge because I never, you know, first CD or cassette or maybe even a record that you bought. You remember the first one you got? Yeah, I do. I do remember my first two cassettes. I got two at once. I remember I was really big into music in like fifth and sixth grade. And, and I got um, the, the crisscross cassette. Um, I don't even know what it was called, like the name of the record or album. And I got uh, Nirvana Nevermind. So I got like two opposite ends of the spectrum. I was going to say. Like a, like a hip hop rap CD or cassette. And the other was like an alternative rock cassette. And I loved them both. I remember they were like my favorite possessions at the time. The jump, jump, right? Crisscross. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> the higgity, higgity, hop, right? The, the, yeah, one, one of those purchases I'm proud of today and one of them I'm not. I'll just leave that <laughs> No, there. no, listen. Hey, all right, here, look, look. I'm going to I'll get you out of this hole because I'm one of the biggest Barry Manilow fans you will ever meet. So I, I get that, and, and so so like the first, you know, when I, I don't even know what it, you know, what the deal was when I was I was like nine or eight or ten or whatever I was, but like the first three records I ever bought were Barry Manilow albums. It's you know, and I <laughs> nice. love them. My wife and I, we we see them as much as possible. And, I try and to you get still listen, hey yeah, man, that's, totally, that's, totally. We so, call that timeless, right? Yeah, absolutely. And? So so yeah, no, I'm a big fan of those. So and there's nothing wrong with crisscross, crisscross. Right. I'm I'm down with that. You're good. <laughs> hey, do you remember your first movie in a movie theater? Yeah, I do. I remember all this because we didn't do a lot of the stuff often. My dad was a saint, man. He he worked all the time, and we didn't have a ton of money growing up, but he made it work. But I remember we went to see uh, the Mighty Ducks oh. in the movie theater, and that was like the first one I think I went to see in the movie theater. And we were like all amped up. My brother and I were so excited, and then we walked out like saying all the lines and everything. So yeah. Did you think you were fun. were you going to be a hockey player after that, or were you still okay with basketball? Uh, dude, we we didn't do anything but basketball. <laughs> my dad was into it, and like my brother was into it. It was it was all basketball all the time. So there was never any doubt on that. But we just we liked that the one kid called the other kid a cake eater or something. We thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, learn a new word. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, That's awesome. Right, right. All right. So now this is present day. This is the last one. What is the first app you check when you get up in the morning? The weather. Really? <laughs> yeah, I got to know if I'm going to run inside or outside. Oh, see, so you're, you're, so I'm along the same way. Like, like I usually have a general, like, cause I do the same thing. I run in, I run in the morning, you know, uh-huh. but I usually, I typically do, I'll hit Twitter as you know, as well. Yeah. But, uh, but that's, see, you're the first weather. You're the first weather app. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, this is one of those things I got to know how cold it is and, and I'm pretty good. I've got better this year about running in the cold, but it gets to a certain temperature. I'm a little bit of a baby on that. So I oh, no, I'm with you because yeah. like my thing is like when, you know, even when it rains, I don't like because because a lot of times I'm running it's still dark out and right, right. you know I, I hate running through puddles or something I can't see or especially like you hit those slick spots even if it's just wet so sure. as I've gotten older I've gotten a little bit wiser because I've fallen a couple of times I'm like I gotta quit doing mm-hmm. this and just yeah. be smart and get on the elliptical but no that matters no 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 there's there's nothing you're not being a baby you're just being smart mm-hmm. that's what that is. Yeah. I, well, I can't be too smart. You see some of those guys out there running with like a headlamp. That that won't be me. I know what <laughs> <it is. laughs> I will tell you, hey, I've tried the headlamp a couple of times. It's not for me either. I did try uh, it though, because it just it keeps falling down and like I'm like and, I'm looking at the, look side. at the ground. Right, the exactly. Time, right? right. And that's right. exactly right. You know, but right. you know, my wife was like, Hey, look, I got this for you. <laughs> and I tried it a couple of times and I'm like, I don't know, it just doesn't really work. But I do wear like uh glow in the dark. And here's a quick story. I I wear like a vest, a glow in the dark vest. You know, so, mm-hmm. um, but one day when I was running, this was uh, like a year or so ago. It was right before the pandemic, right, right after the pandemic started when we started working from home. I'm jogging down the street one day and this guy pulls over in his car. I thought, you know, my first thought is, I got to run faster because I'm about to get mugged. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, this guy's pulling over yelling at me. But long story short, he's like, hey, man, I see you running every day. Here, he gave me glow in the dark leg leggings oh, for me to that. run. He was a, a construction or, yeah, it was yeah. a total. And the guy looked like Santa Claus too. So it was like, <laughs> 
<laughs> it was so funny, but yeah, so they're like Velcro. Yeah. You just strap them on to you know over your over your jogging pants, and uh, but I thought that I wear them every day now. I wear them every day because I, you know. Visible. Well, because I think like if he drives by again, I want him to know. I'm hey, I'm very, sure. I'm very appreciative. I've worn them every single now. Like like this time of year, it's a little lighter. I don't necessarily need them, but yeah, mm-hmm. no. When I'm running in the dark, I I wear I, I put on my glow in the darks that were given to me by, uh, by Phantom Santa. Nice. <laughs> driving down the street in his Kia Soul, his white Kia Soul. I was yeah. like, what? It was it was yeah. crazy. So, That's but awesome. weird weird things happen to you when you're jogging at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> so. weird things happen to you when you're out jogging all the time. Actually, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, this has been a lot of fun, and more importantly, very very insightful. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the podcast. Of course, Dave. I appreciate your time too. This is pretty awesome. I'm I'm hoping that some young coaches listen, and I'm hoping that some of our bulldogs listen because I feel like I'm a, a part of a very special basketball community. And and if the much as much as we can share, it's, it's the more the better. So thanks again. I really appreciate you having me. Well, it's it, it's all it's all good, Coach. And so remember, folks, if you know a great coach like Coach Eaton who's out there doing great things, winning games, and building a great team culture at the same time, I want to hear about them. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can hit me up on Twitter at CourtsidePod1, on Facebook and Instagram at CourtsidePodcast. Remember, folks, build your players' strengths. Find them all a roll, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.